Lake Tahoe is not the best place for skiing and is certainly not the best place for gambling, but Tahoe is definitely the best place for skiing and gambling. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to Personal Disclosures. I'm Nancy Beckett, and I'm your host. Eight people signed up for one of my humorous writing classes here in Chicago at the Second City Training Center, where I've taught for more than 15 years. They entertained the hell out of each other, bonded and shared secrets they'd never told anyone. And now they're revealing their truth to you. These stories have so much meaning and quality because they are written. I mean, people are a huge pain in the ass, generally speaking, myself included, and they'll bore you to death if you let them. But in these episodes, what you'll discover is how interesting people actually are on paper. It'll surprise you, and you're going to want more. So please, go to our website at personaldisclosures.com. See more of us. Tell us what you think. And disclose some of your own truth, why don't you? Okay, so here's how it's going to go. After one person reads a personal disclosure, we're going to riff, we're going to cross-talk, we're going to get crazy and funny, and contradict each other, and then we're going to move on. You're not going to know who's talking in these commentaries. That's okay. There's nothing you're going to miss. Just listen to the things that people say to one another as writers in a room reading together. And after a couple of episodes, you'll know who we are. Welcome to this episode, Friends and Frenemies, Part 1. Adventures of a lifetime with favorite sidekicks. I hope you'll be able to appreciate how traveling is, in fact, a thing, but it's also a metaphor. And believe it or not, our friends turn out to be the people we travel with. That is to say, journey with. Oh my God, Tony and the string. The string is captured my imagination. These are a bunch of guys on a text message, I guess, that stay in touch all the time, every day, and just be bros. And I got a chance to be on the inside of that world. And I don't know, it just cracks me up, their nicknames, and just being a part of how they re relate, how they communicate with one another. And I had fantasies about them, you know, like the Rockford Files, like they'd solve mysteries, or that you could put them in a TV show, the string. They'd be that good, even though they're just a bunch of middle-aged, grunting, scratching, sports, gambling guys. The string. Lake Tahoe is not the best place for skiing and is certainly not the best place for gambling, but Tahoe is definitely the best place for skiing and gambling. <laughs> so when Mongo invited me to join him and his degenerate golfing buddies on a ski-slash-gambling trip to Tahoe, I was all in. I had heard funny stories about Mongo's crew over the years, and they certainly did not disappoint on the Tahoe trip. On our first day, I woke up to find Irish Jesus pounding a Budweiser in the suite at 8.30 in the morning. Like most normal persons on a ski gambling trip, I try to get a few runs in before I hit the sauce around lunchtime. <laughs> Irish Jesus, IJ for short, holds to no such conventions. IJ was once recorded to have consumed 39 Budweiser in a single day. 
But then the guy who was keeping track passed out, so it was probably more than that. On the Tahoe trip, Mongo's crew invited me to join their text string, which they call the string. I jumped right in, texting reports on our interactions with other casino guests, including the young couple at the table next to us who we had been talking to, and who then, for some odd reason, tried to make us buy their dinner. Why would we buy dinner for you, I asked the guy, pointing at his girlfriend. Your girlfriend isn't that hot. (laughs) You were picking a fight with the wrong people, IJ informed them. We aren't picking a fight with you, the guy said. You're picking a fight with us. You are picking a fight with the wrong people, IJ repeated. Your girlfriend isn't that hot, I told the guy again, in case he missed it the first time. The string includes Mongo and IJ, of course, and also C-Dick, Newbie, Cool Greg, Gramps, Angry, Proby, Shooter, and Tito. Everyone has a nickname on the string because we are guys, and that's what guys do. We give each other nicknames. Mongo is Mongo because he's a big fella. C-Dick is C-Dick because he was in the Navy, and thus the C part. Plus, his first name starts with C, and his last name starts with Dick, so you get C-Dick out of that. Newbie, spelled N-double-zero-B, is a derogatory term for the new guy who annoys everyone. Newbie's all right, except he always brags about his thick, full mane of hair, which none of us bald guys want to hear about. Cool Greg's real name is Greg, but he is Cool Greg to distinguish him from Newbie, whose real name is also Greg. <laughs> Better to be the cool Greg in that situation. Gramps is a really nice guy, except he's a Republican. Angry is actually pretty mild-mannered and has trouble constructing coherent sentences. Most of his texts are complete gibberish and no one can understand them. <laughs> we probably shouldn't joke about that because it is likely a mental defect of some sort, but we do anyway. Whenever Angry texts something, IJ will translate it into plain English, doing what we call the Angry Bot. Proby is okay, except he always texts naked women pictures, which is a violation of string policy because we aren't 12. They call Shooter, Shooter, because he shoots, I guess. Finally, there is Tito. I hate that fucker, Tito. Um. In person, Tito is a good guy, and we get along. On the string, I hate him with the heat of a thousand suns. Everything I text, Tito has to make some stupid comment about it. He drives me outside my mind, and I want to kill him. Tito has no life, so he never has anything interesting to say. In the last two years, Tito has said something interesting exactly one time, and that wasn't even all that interesting. Tito just texts stupid shit like, hey, motherfuckers. Tito texts that every day. Every fucking day, idiot. You may be wondering what they call me. Well, they call me Pipes. They don't call me Pipes because I have a great singing voice or big muscles. I don't. But because I call everyone else Pipes. Hey, Pipes. Nice shot, Pipes. What time's the game on, Pipes? I refer to other guys as Pipes because it is something you can call a guy that sounds friendly enough until you can remember his real name. (laughs) I picked up the Pipes habit in 1992 when I met the original Pipes. The original Pipes probably did get his nickname because he had big muscles, or maybe because he went around calling everybody Pipes. Whoever really knows how these things get started. Well, whatever. I picked up the habit, and eventually everyone was calling me Pipes. We text constantly on the string about anything and everything. Topics of discussion include the gambling odds for whatever game is on, plans for the next Vegas trip, golf, wherever Mongo is in the world, my dating adventures, politics, our kids' fuck-ups, C. Dick's family vacations, IJ's cooking, my failed attempts at cooking, etc. Pretty much everything. We also started a blog, 
monkeywiththegunblog.com, where we provide our hot takes on gambling, music, politics, golf courses, the drink, and the older smokes, among other bro stuff. So one weekend, I was home alone, drinking Bud Lights by myself, texting the idiots on the string. I didn't have anything better to do because the previous weekend, Ava had told my daughter's boyfriend that his mom was a fat bitch. (laughs) As a result, my daughters weren't speaking to me, and I had taken some time off from seeing Ava because I needed time to sort out this fucking mess. What kind of a lunatic tells a 26-year-old kid that his mom is a, quote, fat bitch? And what better place to sort out life's problem than with a (laughs) bunch of drunken idiots on a text string? I wasn't the only one with problems that night. IJ was at his cabin in Michigan with his family and was running out of beer. He had started out with a case earlier in the day and was down to only five left at about 11 o'clock on a Saturday night. He was texting the number he had left every five or ten minutes, and it was like the countdown to Armageddon. Ten, nine, eight, seven, six, five. I didn't know what the hell IJ was going to do when the beer ran out, and he was stressing me the fuck out. (laughs) Mongo was at his house in Reno planning the next Vegas trip, so the debate was raging what hotel we would go to, with Mongo pushing for a nice hotel, and C. Dick and Cool demanding the Westgate, which has the best sports book, but is a fucking dump. Tito was in a bar somewhere in Chicago, reporting that the bartender had said something nice to him, so she was clearly in love with him. Fucking Tito. (laughs) Meanwhile, Ava was lighting me up on a separate text because I was not taking, quote, her side on the, quote, fat bitch comment. And she was also pissed that I had not taken her to my buddy's 50th birthday party a couple days earlier. Hey, I'm not a Navy SEAL. I will leave someone behind. (laughs) Ava denied calling my daughter's boyfriend's mom a, quote, fat bitch and claimed that she would have never said anything like that. Ava also argued that even if she had called her a fat bitch, which she hadn't, it was only because my daughter's boyfriend had said that his mom thought Ava was a, quote, crazy bitch. (laughs) I respected Ava's ability to argue in the alternative. <laughs> four, IJ reported on the string. Fuck, IJ only had four beers left. Are we going to Vegas to gamble or to stay in a resort? C. Dick argued, pushing for the Westgate. Yes, Mongo replied. Mongo has often admitted that although he is a simple man with simple pleasures, his simple pleasures are very expensive. <laughs> he doesn't apologize for that. She's a Blackhawks fan, Tito reported about his bartender. You think? Can't believe you'd have a bartender in Chicago who's a Blackhawks fan. Jesus Christ, this guy. In addition to texting me directly, Ava was retweeting articles on Twitter that reflected her current state of mind, such as, quote, 10 signs you're dating a jerk, which I presume that she suggested I am, and, quote, 11 top alpha male traits and characteristics, which I presume she was suggesting I am not. A couple of guys follow Ava on Twitter, and had reposted Ava's articles on the string, and then proceeded to quiz me from the list to determine whether I was, in fact, a jerk and or an alpha male. Okay, Pipes, question one. Do you think the flaws of other people should be discussed and laughed at? IJ texted. And then he texted three. I pictured those three lonely remaining beers in IJ's fridge in Michigan. Uh, I guess you got me there. I texted back. Because I did, in fact, think the flaws of other people should be discussed and laughed at. <laughs> Have you seen the sports book at the Westgate? C. Dick asked. She only lives a couple blocks from me, Tito reported. Oh, wow, Tito, isn't that convenient? Since she's so close, I bet that means she wants you to follow her home and fuck her. Idiot. <laughs> In her text to me, Ava was alternating between vicious attacks on my manhood and attempts to make me feel sorry for her. 
She was currently playing the sympathy card, claiming that she was the victim in this whole fucking mess. They are just cruel and unfair and are evil, Ava texted, referring to my daughters. Continuing on, Ava texted, When I'm alone, I cry. And I know I have done nothing wrong. I feel powerless. I know no one believes me. And I cry. And I know that I have done nothing wrong. Honestly, and I'm being 100% serious here, I do not know if Ava is a poet or if she just doesn't use and understand how word rap works and just randomly hits return when texting. I know no one believes me, and I cry and stay in bed and feel numb. I know those who have passed on from this earth see this unfairness. They are angels, and they protect the good people. Their voices comfort me, my grandmother, even my dad. I know this is unheard of to you, like how math is easy in your head. (laughs) This was fucking Ava Gold, and I was screenshotting her texts and forwarding them over to the string. Two, IJ reported, referring to his beers. Okay, number five, Pipes. He never works to make you orgasm. Fake news, I replied. (laughs) Hey, and hey, you guys, Ava is speaking with the dead. (laughs) I followed that up with a screenshot of Ava's most recent text. As background on that, we have a running inquisition on the string to determine whether Ava is a witch. I think Ava might be a witch. My main evidence is that Ava can read minds and she has obviously cast a spell on me. Plus, she is Hungarian, and Hungary is a known haven for witches. Ava denies that she is a witch, of course, and there's no way to tell for sure without throwing her in a bog to see if she floats, which Ava would never allow. And we can't burn her, obviously, so all we can do is look for clues. Speaking with the dead would seem to weigh in favor of witchcraft. One, IJ reported. IJ was on his last beer. I was about to have an embolism. What would he do? Cedic gave me a thumbs up on the Ava is speaking with the dead, you guys, text, meaning that he agreed that we had more evidence. Cedic is lead counsel on the witchcraft inquisition because he knows the Monty Python skit where the villagers bring the hot young smoke in front of the king and ask if they can burn her because she's a witch. The king questions how they know that she is a witch, and they list out their evidence, including that she looks like one, and she turned me into a newt, but I got better. Burn her anyway, the villagers chant... We try to keep it more civilized with actual evidence, like reading minds or speaking with the dead. I remembered I had more beer in the car, IJ reported. Seriously? IJ had been stressing me the fuck out all night, and then he, quote, remembered he had more beer in the car? What a fucker. She is from Glen Ellen, Tito reported, about the bartender. Probably the only woman he had talked to in a month. I couldn't take it anymore. I texted to the string, I don't know, Tito, maybe she likes you. Or maybe talking to you is her fucking job. (laughs) Fuck you, Pipes, Tito responded. (laughs) I think if Eva was really a witch, you'd be dead by now. Or married. uh (laughs) You'd be hexed so hard. (laughs) Married and hexed. Like He can do nothing in life now except for be a good husband. (laughs) (laughs) So we have all these characters that are talked about on the podcast that are, you know, sometimes... Nancy calls them window characters. And with Tony's characters in particular, we're led to believe the women are all nuts, the men are all bros. Right? <laughs> right. <laughs> right? When in actuality, some of these guys might be deep guys, professionals who are, well, they're not dumb, they're accomplished. They probably have good marriages. 
some trials and tribulations of their own. They're deeper human beings than just the countdown of how many beers are left in their fridge. <laughs> That's mostly correct. <laughs> I struggle with this point a lot with writing um, and had to get past it. First, for the class, we just had seven or eight people in there. It was a close private environment, so it wasn't a big deal to use people's names. Now we're in public on this podcast, and I've run all this stuff by Ava. She knows that I talk about stuff and that I write about this, and, and honestly, she loves it. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's she's asked me to write about some stuff that has happened um, that is pretty crazy, and I wouldn't do it. Mm-hmm. So uh, she's not the one to worry about. Some of my buddies, like you say, are professionals. You know, I don't know that IJ wants uh, you know me talking about how many beers he drinks. I know the bro side of him is probably laugh about it and it'd be pretty right. proud. But the business side of him, he might be like, you know. But then again, I'm calling him by a nickname, yeah. so right. he can deny it. And I and I I think about my kids. Do they want this? some of this stuff out there, some of our family issues? But then again, they're my kids. I mean, it's my family, so I feel like it's my story too. Right. So it's something I always think about when writing, when there's other people involved and you're talking about what they did or what happened. Can we agree that the string is all about toxic masculinity? <laughs> and the guys on the string, P.S., are all Tony. <laughs> the Second City Training Center proudly sponsors the good stuff here at Personal Disclosures. Second City Training Center gives people a chance to have fun, go bold, and find their funny. Whether it's improv to storytelling, or writing to acting, or stand-up to music, you'll find a perfect class at secondcity.com TC. Or if you're just wanting to do what we're doing on this podcast, then just go to secondcity.com slash online and register. Our next reader is Kels Malat talking about a little debauchery in Las Vegas with a childhood friend. And so you have this kind of push-pull where they're trying, I think, too hard to be cool or, or something. And it all goes very badly, and it made me laugh a lot. This one doesn't disappoint. There were many, many signs that Mariah and I shouldn't have gone to Vegas. (laughs) It was almost as if some higher power were trying to warn us. My whole family are huge gamblers, so it was not my first rodeo in Sin City. (laughs) I knew what to expect. I was excited to accept and collect a stack of stripper collectibles passed out on the streets. God, I love those trashy little stars they used to cover their nipples. So despite going to the hospital for a minor episode the night prior, missing my flight, and sitting beside a screaming baby for the ride, I trekked on. I took an Uber from the airport to the Harris Hotel where we were staying. Mariah had already been in the city for hours and was waiting to meet me in the lobby. My driver was a young Japanese man who enjoyed relating to me on our expatriatism. (laughs) A few minutes into our drive, we passed a dispensary. His car reeked of weed, so naturally he mentioned the new recreational legality of marijuana in Nevada. Despite my bank's assurance that I would never have to remind them of future travels, my cards were declined upon arriving to the hotel. Apparently, Las Vegas is an exception to the word never. I called the Royal Bank of Canada and was told my accounts would be frozen for the next three to four days. While on the phone with the bank, Mariah began to get ready for the day. As she finished curling her hair in the washroom, our only light bulb exploded. The worst part is, she came out of the bathroom laughing and said, I think something bad is going to happen to us. (laughs) But alas, we ignored that Mercury was in retrograde and my fortune cookie from dinner and quickly decided on a set list of things we wanted to do. 
gamble, drink, and sit front row at a Chippendale show, which we bought our tickets for right away. I mentioned to Mariah the recreational dispensary. Wouldn't it be fun to get high and lay by the pool? Let me paint you a picture of Mariah. At 21 years old, Mariah is the oldest person I know. The woman has herself (laughs) together. You would easily believe she has two twin boys who play soccer on Tuesdays and hockey on Thursdays. She went through an accelerated college program in less than a year and got her certification as a personal support worker. She now works in the nicest nursing home in our county. She purchased a brand new 2017 Toyota earlier this year and is working on buying a house. She's kind, outgoing, intelligent, and hilarious. The girl can party too. She always outdrinks me, walks in heels further than me, and handles her hangovers better than me. So despite not being much of a weed smoker, when I mentioned the dispensary, she was easily convinced. We quickly searched up the closest to us and made way. The dispensary itself was like something I'd never seen before. From the outside, it appeared to be an abandoned mini-mart. When we entered the building, there was a front desk with a young, attractive white secretary and a middle-aged white businessman. We signed waivers, showed our IDs, and were taken to a back room with key fob access. This room, unlike the previous, looked almost like a bakery. We were quite literally kids in a candy shop. We settled on buying a pack of pot gummies. When we explained our experience with weed to our cashier, he suggested we take two gummies, and if we weren't feeling their effects after 20 minutes, to have a third. So that's exactly what we did. As we started to walk back to our hotel, gummies in hand, I suddenly remembered. Houdini's Magic Shop. Houdini's Magic Shop in the New York, New York Hotel was one of the few to none perks of being a Las Vegas regular as an infant. My parents would let me purchase one trick each time we visited. I loved it because the staff would perform tricks for their customers. So screw getting high and laying by the pool. How cool would it be to get high and see magic? (laughs) As it was about a one mile walk down the main strip at 11.57 a.m., we took two gummies. We continued to check the time, and after 45 minutes, we had another. He said to have a third after 20 minutes, right? We'll definitely be fine, right? Wrong. As soon as the third gummy hit the back of my throat and passed the point of no return, I was suddenly the highest I'd ever been. Don't get it twisted. I've taken many drugs much harder than a few pot gummies, but never in my life had I felt that way. At first, we just had the giggles. We were able to go into CVS to purchase water bottles and Band-Aids from Raya's blistering heels and remembered our pins for our debit cards. All great accomplishments to someone high. I mean, the cashier probably thought we were insane, but we made it through the transaction. I could tell soon we were starting to lose it. We were walking much slower than everyone else. The distance from us to New York, New York felt much, much longer. As we would take one step forwards, the hotel would take 10 steps back. It felt impossible. Between the bright neon lights, crowds of people, and loud noises, I started to feel as if I were in a horrifying new racetrack on Mario Kart. (laughs) The escalators we climbed to cross the streets began to scare the crap out of me. I would hesitate getting on and end up with my left foot following five steps behind my right. Mariah stopped walking and looked at me. Kelsey, I think I'm going to throw up. I got us into the shade and seated at an outdoor food plaza. We drank water and stared into each other's souls, horrified. She kept whispering the creepiest shit under her breath. (laughs) I don't think we'll ever feel normal again. (laughs) I thought we sat there for hours. I remember looking to my left and thinking, holy shit, there's a whole unexplored world over there. And then to my right, holy shit, there's a whole unexplored world over there too. (laughs) And then back to my left, holy shit, I forgot all about this unexplored world. All in a matter of seconds. 
We continued to get higher and higher to the point that we were paralyzed in our seats. Our souls had completely left our bodies. We just need to get back to our hotel, she said. I tried to check my phone to call an Uber, but was slapped with the reality that I was holding the entire universe in my hands. Mariah, I don't think we can safely make it back to a vehicle, I said. Should we ask someone for help? In that moment, she whispered something I'll never forget. In the most serious cry, she said, I don't think that they're going to be able to hear you. (laughs) Which, although terrifying, made me feel a lot better because I was thinking the same thing. I believed I was in hell at the bottom of an empty swimming pool alone with Mariah. No one could see us, no one could hear us, and we would be alone for the rest of eternity. I thought to myself, what did I ever do to deserve this eternal purgatory? And then I reflected on my life and was like, oh yeah. (laughs) My heart began to race. As I had just been released from the hospital in Chicago the night prior for a heart episode, I started to really worry. Should we call an ambulance, I asked? No, she cried. They'll tell my parents. (laughs) Apparently she forgot she was a grown woman. (laughs) After much resistance and tears, she finally let me call. It was at this moment that Mariah fell mute, not out of fear or embarrassment, but from intoxication. There were a group of teenagers employed by the food plaza setting up for an event. As they were standing just a few feet away from us, I murmured, hello? To my surprise, they replied. When I explained our desperate need for assistance, the amount of confusion and look of disappointment on their faces was astonishing. When the paramedics arrived, it was 1.07 p.m., Let me reiterate this. That was only an hour and 10 minutes after ingesting the gummies. (laughs) The paramedics walked right past us. They assumed based off of the report that they were looking for two older females overdosing on heroin and causing a scene. (laughs) But no, just two overgrown teenagers giggling to themselves hysterically. Despite the fact that Mariah was mute, based off of her vital test, the paramedics deemed her stable, just extremely paranoid. I, on the other hand, was immediately hooked up to a series of machines and oxygen tanks. I had a heart rate of 165 and extremely low oxygen levels. I had never been in an ambulance before. My paramedic was a hypermasculine redhead from Alabama who was also 21. In his adorable southern accent, he quite seriously assured me, It's going to be all right, Miss Kelsey. You're just high as shit right now. (laughs) (laughs) My favorite memory from that trip will always be him pushing me down the main strip as I'm strapped to a gurney, waving at all of my adorning fans. We spent the next six hours in the hospital. Mariah was given an IV and placed in a chair in triage while I was admitted into a room that she eventually joined. I kept assuring every doctor and nurse that I needed to be stabilized by 7 p.m. because, after all, we did pay $100 for our Chippendale seats. Once we were finally liberated, I noticed that my release papers stated my reason for visit was heart palpitations, but Mariah's were paranoia and substance abuse. (laughs) We eventually did make it to our Chippendale show. I mean, without realizing it, I had our Uber driver take us to the address of the magic shop first, but was that really a mistake or just a happy accident? (laughs) All right. So I have to I have to remind you guys and the listeners that this is the day after the starfishing incident during the bad romance episode. Right, when she lies in the ER just to get on the plane and go. Yeah, so that was like the first sign that I shouldn't have gone to Vegas was that I literally just had passed out the night before from riding dick. I feel like you get high wrong. 
What I love about Mariah is that she starts out being like this awesome babe who belies her 21 years with a quickie degree in caretaking, and she's just all that. And then (laughs) as the high continues, she just comes down to becoming a a whimpering mess. Yeah, my parents are going to find out. I could see, like, Mariah not existing. Like, she's actually just a facet of your own... Oh, yeah. Personality. Like, that's where all of your, like, responsible. But also she, like, eggs you on. I don't know. Are we sure she's real? Yeah, see, this is what I'm talking about with my derealization. I was going to say, you weren't here for derealization, so... So thank you for that. That's going to haunt me forever. This is Julie Bashkin, the executive producer. Anyone can and should do what we're doing here. Visit our website, personaldisclosures.com, to make your own disclosures. We have celebrity comedians and best-selling authors who will work with you individually. Whether you're an experienced writer or have never attempted to do this in your life, we can make you funny, smart, and interesting on paper. And now, some more provocative stories. Finally, we have Bridget McGuire doing her, keeping up with the Joneses, and taking a very long trip with friends and one frenemy to Oktoberfest. Woohoo! In Munich, where she discovered some serious generosity inside herself. In the fall of my junior year of college, I studied in Verona, Italy. My best friend Sarah was in Bologna, which is just two hours away from Verona by train with our other friend Natalie. In Verona, there were 11 American students, all from the University of Illinois. Eight of us were pretty close, and four of us, well, four of us were just four idiots together. Those four would be me, Maria, my roommate, (laughs) Jeff, and Eric. One day, while touring yet another Fabrica, which is factory, for our Italian economics class, Sarah texted me and said that she and Natalie wanted to go to Oktoberfest, and were we in? Of course we were in. The four of us got to work the next day at the computer lab to figure out how to arrange this trip. Bridget, when are you leaving for Oktoberfest? Josie asked. Shocked she was talking to me, I told her Friday night at 1 a.m. and the train gets us to Munich at 7 a.m. Can I come with you? You want to go with us? I heard you say that Sarah and Natalie were going and I really liked them. I didn't think I would like them when I heard they were your friends, but they were so nice when they visited. Oh, God. (laughs) You were surprised to like them because they were my friends? Josie, you realize that's an insult, right? Well, I also wanted those navy blue Oktoberfest hoodies. Whatever. For sure, yeah, you can come. When I started watching The Office years later after I graduated from college, I couldn't put my finger on who Angela reminded me of. (laughs) Angela was a tattletale, a perfectionist, negative. She despises joy. And then one day it hit me. Angela is Josie. (laughs) Josie was the least excited person to be in Italy. She lived with Vicky, and every night when we would go out and explore the town, and usually ended up at the bar campus, she would stay home and watch Dawson's Creek reruns on her laptop and eat candy. Every. Single. Night. She declined each offer to do something with us unless it was mandatory for the program. It actually made me really sad. She was missing out on the best country and all the stories that came with it. She had something against me for no reason. I didn't do anything to Josie, but she was clear about not liking me. Therefore, I had no idea why the hell she would want to go to Munich with us. I offered to bring her home the navy blue Oktoberfest hoodie she wanted, but she said she wanted to come. 
So the idiot four, Josie, Sarah, and Natalie met at campus at 10 p.m. We got dinner and had some beers until we had to depart to the train station to get on our 1 a.m. train to Munich. Approaching the platform, they were making announcements that the train was overbooked and to just find a spot anywhere. I had not taken an overnight train in Europe yet, and I was picturing something really fancy with her own private sleeping cart. What we ended up with was basically the third floor of the Titanic. (laughs) Every seat was taken. Every seat on the floor of the corridors was taken. People were sleeping standing up. People were sleeping in the bathrooms. Maria, Sarah, and I kneeled for six hours in the little area that connects the train carts. From time to time, people would open the doors and walk over us. When the doors would open and close, my turtleneck sweater would get pulled back each time. No one even ever came to check our tickets. After six hours of misery, we finally made it to Munich. It was an overcast day in the 50s. We had no idea where to go or how to get into Oktoberfest. This was by far the worst planned trip of all time. We were starving, so we found the nearest restaurant to get breakfast and quickly figured out Oktoberfest is like St. Patrick's Day in the U.S. The Germans start drinking early out of huge steins of beer shaped like a boot, so we, minus Josie, gladly joined in on the kegs and eggs tradition at 8 a.m. I ran to the bathroom before we set out to find the park when I realized my zipper broke on my pants, which led to the first problem of the day. (laughs) Not a problem, but rather an annoyance to have to keep holding my jeans together and constantly pull my sweater down so it would cover the zipper. Our cell phones did not work in Germany, and so we actually had one semi-wise idea to create a meeting spot in case anyone got lost. We found a central point that had a huge flagpole in the middle of the fest. The first few hours of the day were great. The sun started to come out, the music and beer were flowing, Everyone was getting along. It was fun. We found the Italian Oktoberfest tent the campus bartenders told us to go to. Josie even had half a bottle of beer and then politely gave me the rest. Were we becoming friends? We ate huge <laughs> hot pretzels with mustard. We danced with guys in later hose and costumes and made many, many new international friends. We decided to venture out of the tent around 3 p.m. The fall sun was warm and everyone started to take off their sweaters and coats, except me because my pants would then have been around my ankles since I no longer had a zipper. Josie told us she was going to look for a stand that sold the Oktoberfest hoodie that she wanted so badly. Natalie, Jeff, and Eric were going to look for another tent for us to go to. The minute they all left is when the wheels started to fall off. Sarah, Mari, and I were sitting outside on a long wooden table when we met some Italian guys. The Italian stallions hit it off with Sarah and Maria right away. Sarah speaks fluent Italian and could actually communicate with these people, and they loved it. Maria was like this beautiful specimen that the Italians had never seen before in the flush. Mari is American, but her parents are from Pakistan. She speaks Urdu and has been a model since she was 13. Now, when I told people I was going to Italy, they all told me to watch out for those Italian men because they love blondes. I was so excited about this idea, and I would (laughs) fantasize about all my Italian boyfriends knocking at my door. Well, the only knocking I got was actually tapping, and it was the tapping on my shoulder over and over again of Italian men asking if I could take a picture of them with Maria. It was like she was a Disney princess at the Magic Kingdom. They were obsessed with her, with good reason, too, because not only was she beautiful, she was also very kind-hearted and a total blast. In any case, these Italians asked if we wanted to smoke hash. Not being a big pot smoker, I declined at first. I get extremely paranoid when I smoke pot and didn't want to feel that way in Munich, Germany. Sarah and Maria explained to me, oh my god, hash is nothing. It's a joke compared to American pot. So after 30 seconds of contemplation, I smoked it. (laughs) And then we smoked a lot of it. A few hours went by. God knows what we talked about or what we did at that table for hours. We just sat frozen almost when we realized Josie, Jeff, Eric, and Natalie never came back. 
I'm going to go to the bathroom and then let's go look for them. <laughs> Our train leaves in two hours, I said, standing up, realizing I felt very out of it. Was I drunk? Was I high? What was I? What am I? I head off to the bathroom and the next thing I know, I am on a horse and buggy. I am on a horse and buggy. I am on a horse and buggy. What? How the hell did I get on a horse and buggy? It's now dark and I realize I'm in front of the Munich train station. Frantic, I run to see what time it is and when the next train back to Verona leaves. I have one hour. Extremely out of it and scared, I sit on the train platform and talk myself down. My plan is just to sit in front of this track so I do not miss it. I cannot get lost. I cannot stay overnight in Munich. I cannot believe I woke up on a horse and buggy. All of a sudden, I feel a hand on my shoulder. It's Josie. Oh, thank God. Oh, shit. No, not thank God. It's Josie. She hates me. Josie, the non-drinker, definitely non-hash smoker, who hates me, who's only here for a hoodie, who got lost five hours into the day, is now standing above me, and she is not smiling. I stayed at that meeting spot for hours, Bridget. I never even got an Oktoberfest hoodie. Where were you guys? No one ever came back to look for me. Oh, Josie, I can barely talk because I smoked some weird hash that really messed me up and my zipper is broken and I just woke up on a horse and buggy. This is all I wanted to tell her, but I couldn't vocalize anything. All I could say was doppio cheeseburger, which means double cheeseburger in Italian. We sat in silence at the Munich McDonald's and then slept next to each other on the train ride home. This time we actually did get a private cart, but still no one came to check our tickets. I did feel really bad that she had an awful experience. I didn't want to tell her, but I was silently freaking out because I didn't have my backpack, which had my cell phone, keys, passport, and all the souvenirs I bought. I wanted to cry, but I think she would have murdered me if I started to complain. As we got off the train at Verona, Sarah, Natalie, and the other idiots were deboarding as well. We were all on the same train and didn't even know it. We hugged each other like a long-lost reunion, and Maria handed me back my backpack. Thank God she had it. I opened it up. And I took out the Oktoberfest hoodie I bought for myself, and I passed it over to Josie. It was the least I could do. All in all, the trip to Oktoberfest was nutty. I woke up on a horse and buggy. But like most situations in Italy, it worked out. I got my backpack back. Josie got her beloved navy blue Oktoberfest hoodie. And when you're in Italy, you just learn to go with the flow. You have to if you want to survive there. And well, maybe you should just not smoke hash. Bye, Benny. That story will make my parents so proud. <laughs> Random acts of kindness. It should make them proud. You had a very warm moment at the end where you sympathized with this poor Josie and gave her the shirt off your back. Well, in my backpack. It wasn't off my back. But yes, I did feel bad. I love that you compared her to Angela. That's so funny. It was so like vivid. Yeah, yeah, once you said that, so funny. I didn't realize an Oktoberfest hoodie was a thing. Yeah. In so I was in Italy in the fall of 2002. And if anyone studied abroad around that time, like everyone in the world, the coolest thing to have was an Oktoberfest hoodie. Like when you talked about your rugby's, like the early 2000s, <laughs> it was like, "Oh, you studied abroad, you got an Oktoberfest hoodie." So, I was kind of sad to give that to her, but I felt really bad that she spent the day alone. I don't know how I spent my digs. <laughs> I woke up on a horse. <laughs> the Second City Training Center proudly sponsors the good stuff of personal disclosures. The Second City Training Center gives people a chance to have fun, go bold, 
and find their funny. If you're not near a training center, then go to secondcity.com slash online and you can register. Friends, from a writing perspective, are what I call window characters. People you can reveal more of yourself to. And even if it comes down to the fact you can't stand their ass, for some reason, a real friend is somebody that you can fight with or ultimately come to that realization with. So they're essential when it comes to writing good, humorous stories. You've got to have people who are enemies, of course, because you need to have conflicts and you have to suffer and endure and all that. But similarly, you need parallel, complementary people in your stories to bring out the best and the worst in yourself. This podcast was created by me, Julie Bashkin, in partnership with Alana Kipp and Nancy Beckett and the Second City Training Center. Sound engineering, recording, and original music scores created by Gravity Studios in Chicago. Visit personaldisclosures.com for tips and tricks on how to make your own personal disclosures and to access exclusive personal training and group events with famous best-selling authors and comedians you've seen on TV. Make sure to follow us on Instagram, where you may find embarrassing vintage photos from our youth. And please, share with your friends and leave a review on Stitcher and iTunes. It helps us out tremendously to get the word out and to bring you more laughs and maybe even some tears every week with new episodes.